Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. So the season is over. Time to put club rivalry aside and come together for the sake of the national side. Portugal is the destination. The Nations League is at stake. Now before we crack on with this one, let me remind you that the last episode is still available at your usual provider. And... He's had a really good response, so thank you for that. Now, I spoke with Richard Weeks from the England Supporters Club, and if you'd like to know more about those guys and how they make it easier for us to follow England home and away, then please do give it a listen. And if by chance you do happen to see them in Portugal, give them a quick thank you. I'm sure they would appreciate it. Right, onwards, and welcome to your in-flight entertainment should you be heading to Portugal. This episode is a Nations League preview. I'll be speaking with people who know the Dutch side, the Portuguese side and the Swiss side better than I do. But first, let's remember how we got there. Group 4 saw us in with Spain and Croatia. You remember initially we lost to Spain at Wembley 2-1. Here is Kane. It's Luke Shaw galloping forward. Rashford ahead of him. And Shaw finds Rashford! What a start! Now Rodrigo able to pull it back. And there is the equaliser. Saul Niguez. And England had barely 90 seconds to enjoy their lead. And Spain have another set piece in a dangerous area. And it's whipped in, Rodrigo! 2-1 to Spain! Time beginning to run out. And a chance for Welbeck! But it won't count. Disallowed by the referee. And nil-nil in spectatorless Rijeka, Croatia. So it's a shame, especially for our travelling fans who... Um, were brilliant for us all summer and so many of whom haven't missed an England game for, for years. So that that's um, uh, unfortunate for them in particular. And there was the big one in Seville beating Spain 3-2. his head. Unable to collect. Now Rashford Sterling through the middle. No flag. Raheem Sterling! The long wait is over. It's his first ever England away goal and it's given the supposed underdogs tonight a 16th minute lead here in Seville. He's got Rashford in and England could get a second here. They have done. Inside the opening half an hour. Another brilliant moment here in the home of Betis for Gareth Southgate and his very young England team. Barkley. That's another one for Sterling. No offside. It's a Monday night masterclass for Gareth Southgate and his team. And we followed it up at Wembley with that 2-1 win against Croatia. Brackelow, the substitute to Vlasic. He turns it back here. Andre Kramaric, dangerous. Skipping away from a couple of challenges and more. Gets the shot away and it's in. Would you believe it? Croatia in front after all those England chances. 
Gomez with the huge throw in towards Stones again. And Harry Kane here, and Lingard couldn't miss. England level. Phil well delivers. No, an awkward and in from Harry Kane. And England have turned it around from relegation bound to group leaders. Now, Thursday the 16th of May, Gareth Southgate announced his squad of 27, which was then reduced to 23 ahead of this four-game tournament. Of course, wasn't made easy by the players taking part in those two European finals. But that, unfortunately, was the nature of the beast. Then, on the 27th, it was announced that Tottenham duo Kieran Trippier and Harry Winks and the Southampton pair of James Ward-Prowse and Nathan Redmond had been omitted from the squad. I can't imagine how hard it is for a manager to tell players they're not going to an international tournament, but that, I guess, is just part and parcel of Gareth Southgate's job. That leaves the 23 as follows. Jordan Pickford in goal, Carl Walker, Danny Rose... Eric Dyer, John Stones, Harry Maguire, Jesse Lingard, Jordan Henderson, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Jaden Sancho, Joe Gomez, Jack Butland, Ben Chilwell, Michael Keane, Declan Rice, Fabian Delph, Ross Barkley, Marcus Rashford, Deli Alley, Callum Wilson, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Tom Heaton. So that's a squad with an average age of 24.9, average caps of 21.5 and a squad of 56 goals. Jordan Henderson is the most experienced with 50 caps, but Raheem Sterling is only just behind on 49. Now, Fabian Delph has been given a fair amount of stick for his selection. He's only played five times in 2019 for Manchester City and only 23 times this season. Three of those were for England. But I feel sometimes managers have their favourites, and Fabian would appear to be one of Gareth's. One who I'm assuming he feels he can rely on, and I imagine both on and off the pitch. And I guess the only blot on his season appears to have been the sending off over Christmas against Leicester. And I don't ever feel he's let England down. I feel Gareth has a tried tested and trusted group of players. And if you look at his first start in 11 in the 2-0 home win over Malta in 2016, Walker, Stones, Ali, Henderson and Lingard all played. Rashford and Rose came on and Dyer, Keane and Heaton were all unused squad members. Kane was injured back then and Oxlade-Chamberlain played, but of course he's injured now. And it's almost as if he has a set 11 and something I put out on Twitter, if you compare his 2018 World Cup squad to this one, there's eight changes. 2018 had Jamie Vardy, Kieran Trippier, Danny Welbeck, Gary Cahill, Phil Jones, Ashley Young, Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Nick Pope. And as someone pointed out to me on Twitter, Ashley Skinner, he said, pretty much the replacements are all upgrades. Fair comment. I'm excited to see Jaden Sancho on the big stage. Sure, he's already big in Germany and we all know what he's capable of. But now he can show us in a tournament setting. Two games, this boy could explode. Right, time to get the lowdown. 
on the opposition. Now, of course, first up for England on Thursday, the 6th of June, is the Netherlands in Guimaraes. And now we last spoke to James Rowe uh, before the England away game in Amsterdam, which was, I think, March time 2018. James, welcome back. Thank you very much for having me again, Russell. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself, how have you been? Very well. Very busy with the football interviews this end. Great stuff. Well, well, we'll talk um, World Football Index and Football Orangey towards the end. But of course, the Nations League is is what we're all here for. How are things over in Amsterdam? How are things in the Netherlands? Uh, well, in terms of international uh, the Nations League coming up, there's a quiet air of optimism. To be honest, there's a, I wouldn't say there's a level of expectancy. The Dutch were somewhat surprised by their uh, appearance in the last uh, four of the Nations League when the draw was initially made and being coupled with uh, France and Germany there was a, a somewhat air of negativity but good home wins against France and uh, in Rotterdam and, and, and beating the beating the Germans in at home in Amsterdam and, and a crazy end to the game in Gelsenkirchen led to, uh, to their appearance in the last four and I would view this Nations League as a somewhat opportunity to continue to, to build a competitive team. You see with the initial squad that's been chosen that there's real signs of life and there's real quality in all positions now. And it's Kuman's initial um, assignment to build a competitive team and continue to go forward. And um, yeah, everybody's excited. Everybody's looking forward to it. And they have an opportunity to announce themselves on a international stage. There is there is good signs that, especially from foreign media, they appear to have realised that the country has picked up after missing uh, Euro 2016 and the World Cup in 2018. But there are signs of life now, and um, I think they can look forward in earnest to a very interesting game against England on the 6th of June. Because, as you say, Cooman. Uh, well, by coincidence, was that was his first game against England. He must have gone up in everyone's uh, esteem in this past past twelve months, past eighteen months. He has um, the, the phrase "better late than never" is, is somewhat um, adjoined to him actually getting the job because he wanted it initially when um, when Louis Van Gaal. Um, took the Manchester United job after the 2014 World Cup and the Dutch national team decided to go with Gersilink. Koeman has always wanted this job and with his experience at club level here in the Netherlands with PSV, Bayernord, Ajax and Isaac Alkman, coupled with his experience in Valencia and Benfica and obviously his Premier League stints as well, he's got a wealth of experience. And you can see that the team look a lot more robust. And the great thing about it is you've got the players coming out, like Memphis Depay, for example, when they was winning games and beating the likes of France and Germany, stating in uh, post-match interviews about the willingness to work hard for one another and take responsibility as a team. And I think with the initial squad that he's picked, which he has to fine-tune, of course, I think there's... There's a real good mix there of, of very good players, and I think they have an opportunity. I think they sense an opportunity against England. You know, obviously England had a great World Cup for them to continue in a good vein of form. I think they was a little bit rocked with their Euro 2020 
defeat at home to Germany, specifically in the manner upon which it happened. Because before that game took place, having beaten Germany before and and France and and being on an upward curve, having won 4-0 at home to Belarus only a few days earlier, there was a somewhat air of maybe a little bit overconfidence when they played Germany in Amsterdam back in March and uh, and Germany won ran out three two winners. So I think they I think they would have learned from their mistakes to not be too over expectant. And I think Kuman will let them know about the mistakes which just gone before. And I think it'll be I think it'll be a game um, which will be very tough to call, I think. Uh, you mentioned the squad. We're talking just as Kuman has announced his 28-man squad, which will then be reduced to 23. There is, of course, one particular player who will be playing in that Champions League final, uh, Virgil van Dijk. He's going to be one of the, the big names. Do you think that that particular game will will hinder Kuman and, and van Dijk being just absent for a little while? Uh, no, I don't think so, because I think it will be about um, continuing to build a cohesive squad. I think he can be very pleased with the back line now, where we have the likes of Denzel Dumfries, who's had a very good season at PSV, Matthias de Ligt as well at 19, captain in Ajax to a, a domestic double and a, a, a European Champions League semi-final and, and showing maturity beyond his years. And also with the midfield, with the likes of Flenkie de Jong and Donny van der Beek, and um, also, you know, these these young players who are who are so primed and, and so excited just to play football at international level. I think it's um, I think they'll carry on in a good vein. I think it's been a long season for many of them, but I think with the adrenaline of of young footballers, I think then I think it will carry them through. But no, I don't think he, uh, Van Dyke will be missed in terms of the training. I think. I think Kuman will take the opportunity to continue to build a cohesive team and train together. But Van Dijk as well has had a tremendous season. In the, it wasn't so long ago that when he he came through the he came through the ranks here at Villanueva, who have a tremendous youth policy. You know, obviously the Ajax youth policy is held in such high regard, but not too far behind our that of uh, Villanueva and I said Alakma. Obviously, with his time at Groningen as well here in the Netherlands, you always knew that he was going to be a very very good player. And I think he's just taken to the captain's captain's role as like a duck to water, really. And I think, along with uh, Jorginho Ronaldo, they'll be excited to play a Champions League final and then hopefully join up with the national team to um, continue to progress at international level. Now, the the squad that I'm looking at doesn't actually tell me what players play for for which teams, but obviously the, there's going to be a few Ajax players in there, and and with their the superb season that they've had and getting to the, that Champions League semi-final, um, that's got to be a whole positive that they can pass on and, and be part of that squad. I fully agree, Russell. I, I fully agree. That, As you say, that sort of enthusiasm that will be, be passed around. They, they, I mean, there's one particular player, of course, isn't there? Frankie de Jong, um, yeah. that, that everyone's raving about. Um, and he's got a, a forthcoming move to, to Barcelona. Um, he's going to be a, a major player as well. He is. He's, uh, he's made tremendous strides in a short space of time. He was signed for extremely little money. And there was even doubt beginning when he was signed from Willem as to starting out in, in the young Ajax reserves as to how good he would be. And he's just made tremendous progress. He always seems to have more time on the ball than others. And, and along with Matthias de Ligt, when you hear them speak, you know, these are young players aged 22 and 19, respectively, and you think they sound like 
experienced professionals that have been playing for 10 to 15 years. It's very, very impressive. There are two names in particular that I would like to um, to speak about that I think could give the Netherlands a different dimension in the nations that can help them. And the first one is the striker, Wolfsburg, uh, about He has scored 17 goals in the Bundesliga this season and also seven assists. And he's made a tremendous start to life in Germany at the top level. You know, he came from, I said, Alec Mile the season before when he was scoring lots of goals. I think he scored, I think, 23 goals this, that, that season and made tremendous strides along with um, his time at Emmen and Heliclès when there was many doubters about his ability. But he's a real good target man and a good poacher and can really offer the Netherlands something different. And I, and I, and I can understand the, the pace of the likes of Bergwijn and Promes and Depay, but I think when you're in tight games with tight spaces and set pieces could be key. I think that their horse could be a tremendous asset for the Dutch national team to have. And another component, I would say Martin De Roon. Um Middlesbrough fans may think is it the same player that played Premier League, but mm-hmm. he's now back at Atalanta in uh, Italy, who are on the cusp of qualifying for the Champions League. He's very, very content, very happy there, and he's an important part of Koeman's plans. And he's a, a tremendous player as well. He's experienced now at the age of 28. I mean, I've rated him since his days at uh, here in Vain, here in the Netherlands, and he's um, just a very, very intelligent player who can help with the um, with the pace of a game and the tempo of a game, and he can pick a good pass as well. So there are good signs of life, you know, the, the defence of the Netherlands where. Uh, I think Kuma made it quite clear that the Barcelona second goalkeeper, Jasper Stillison, will be the number one. And then you have the right back of Denzel Dumfries, of PSV, Virgil van Dijk, Matthijs de Ligt, and uh, Daley Blind. So it's a real balanced defence. And you couple that to a few years ago where there didn't appear to be a, a cohesive backline or midfield. And, and now they seem to have that. So it's about continuing the groundwork to build from the ground up. And uh, there's still a long way to go, of course. There's no, they're by no means the finished article. But in terms of the young age of the squad and the experience of Koeman, they're definitely on the right track. This Nations League is almost a springboard to the, the Euro 2020. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I, for, for, I think it's like a bonus for them, you know, to continue to build with the hard work they've done, you know. I don't think they really expected to be here, considering they were drawn with the with Germany and with France. Mm. I think they are a little bit rocked with the manner of the defeat at home to Germany in the Euro 2020 qualifiers. And what will be very interesting is how this Nations League pans out, because the first competitive international game after the Nations League is away to Germany in Hamburg. And obviously, it's it's quite apparent or expected that both the Netherlands and Germany will qualify without any difficulty. It's about applying yourself properly and, and making sure that everything is uh, is going accordingly to get points to qualify for their first major tournament since 2014 in that respect, which will be by the time the tournament comes round and they hopefully will have qualified, will be a, a six-year absence from major international competition. Which is crazy in itself. Six years without those large swaths of orange in the uh, in the international stands. It's amazing that it's been this long. Uh, James, thank you very much for that. As as we mentioned, World Football Index, Football Orange, you you write for. How's things going on that front? 
Uh, going extremely well. My next interview with Sheffield Wednesday's uh, def- uh, defensive midfielder, Joey Pelipesi, will be my 100th interview with a professional player or manager in three years. Listeners and followers can check out my interviews for World Football Index and also at my Twitter handle, at James Rowe and L. And yeah, it's just really, really, really proud to be continually being taken so seriously. And But for me, it's about applying myself properly. The name is the reputation, really. It's, it's a real it's a real feather in the cap to have the ability to interview Dutch professional players and managers in their mouth of tongue. For, for me, it's about continuing to grow and, uh, and work, keep working hard. And uh, we shall see what the future will bring. Well, congratulations on hitting that 100 mark. Here's to the next 100. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. And uh, well, if if England and and the Netherlands meet again, if their paths cross, then then hopefully our paths will cross too. Indeed. Thank you very much for your time. You're more than welcome. Anytime, Russell. We'll speak again soon. I'd like to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast from Portugal.net, Tom Kundert. He's joining us from Lisbon. Tom, hello there. Hello there, Russell. Thanks for having me on again. No, more than welcome. Uh, we last spoke, I guess it was shortly after the after England had qualified uh, after beating Croatia, and, and you gave kindly gave us a a quick overview of what the the region of Porto and Guimarães is like. Yeah, yeah, really nice part of Portugal. I know you're going, Russell, and I'm sure uh, lots of your listeners are, and I think they can look forward to, you know, as well as uh, hopefully seeing some very good football, maybe enjoying a bit of, uh, you know, Portuguese uh, cuisine and, of course, the Portuguese climate and the Portuguese hospitality, because it's a really nice part of the country, that. Lovely. Looking forward to it. Yes, you're you're quite right. I am. uh, I will be going out there and very much looking forward to it. Um, what's what's the feeling in Portugal like at the moment? Is there is there excitement growing? Yeah, fairly exciting. I have to be honest that most of the focus is still on the domestic football because the league season just finished last week and tomorrow it's the Portuguese Cup final. So, of course, uh, most people's, uh, most football fans, you know, are still focusing on, on those, uh, you know, the end of the domestic season. But yesterday, uh, Fernando Santos, the Portugal coach, he named the Portugal squad for the Nations League, uh, the semis and the final. And, uh, you know, quite a lot of news in the papers today, uh, quite a lot of opinion, definitely building up, I suppose, after the cup final tomorrow. It would just be all the focus will be on that. And yeah, I think people are slowly getting quite excited about it. So the, as we're speaking, it's the Portuguese Cup final uh, takes place on the 25th of May. And that's between Sporting and Porto. Uh, are there plenty of players from each of those teams that have been called up to the, the Nations League squad? A few players, not too many. Only one sporting player, but one hell of a player, I can say. Probably the best player in Portugal this season and last season. Bruno Fernandes, midfielder. Although, I'm sure we'll come on to this, uh, he hasn't really made much of an impact on the national team. He's in a squad, anyway, and a lot of people will be hoping that he'll be playing for Portugal in the Nations League and he can reproduce the outstanding form he's shown this season. And then as for Porto, they've got they've got three players in. I suppose probably the most important is Pep, 
Uh, the centre-back, of course, no needs no introduction. Still going strong, 36 or 37, I think, but still really a, a major part of the Portugal team. You know, those are two really, I suppose, linchpins, you can say, possibly, of what most Portugal fans are hoping would be, you know, a good, good little tournament. Yeah, and just staying domestically, Benfica won the won the National League this season. Are there plenty plenty of players from the Benfica side involved? Yeah, four. I'm going to ask you a question now, Russell. No. Uh, the, just to test your knowledge here, and also this might, I'm sure this will be of interest to your listeners in England. There's two clubs which have the most players in the Portuguese squad, the 23-man Portuguese squad. One of them is Benfica. They've got four players. And there's one other club, not a million miles from where you are now, well, from your country anyway, uh, who has four players in the England, uh, sorry, in the Portugal squad. In the Portugal yeah. squad. Do you know, I, uh, you caught me off guard there, uh, and I'm going to say, is it Wolves? Correct. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Don't you know? Yep, so Wolves have got four players, Benfica have got four players, and they're the two clubs with the most players in the squad. Ah, well, that's that's testament to, to Wolves' this season this year. They've had a cracking season. They've been rewarded with European football next year. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's, uh, I'm not sure if we touched on this in our last conversation, but there's a lot of interest in Portugal on the, the Wolves project, you could say. Mm. Uh, you know, so many Portuguese players there and doing so well as well, uh, not to mention the coach, of course. And so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if those players uh, play a big part. Of course, there's lots of there's high hopes that Diogo Jota maybe can transform his club form to the national team. And of course, uh, João Martinho, he's just been an absolute servant for uh, a fantastic servant for the Portuguese national team is one of just a handful of players. I think there's only five players who have got over 100 caps for Portugal and he's one of them. And he'll probably be adding to that, uh, you know, in this tournament, given the season he had. And so, uh, yeah, you know, I think it would be interesting, of course, if Portugal end up playing in England. Then, of course, there are a few players there who, you know, the English the English players will know very well. Oh, yeah. So that well, that's the possibility, isn't it? It should Portugal uh, get past Switzerland in that first game, and obviously, should England get past Holland in that that final. Uh, that mouthwatering final quite possibly will be in uh, Porto's ground, which go on, j- just give us a, a reminder. So what, what's Porto's ground like? Yeah, Stadio de Dragão. It's called the Dragon Stadium. Yeah, it's a great stadium, really. Portugal since 2004, well, for 2004, the European Championships, which were held here. Of course, they built some uh, brand new stadiums. One of them was all three of the major clubs, Benfica, Sporting, and Porto, they built brand new stadiums. So, you know, that's what, 2004. So you're talking 15 years. It's only 15 years old. Very modern stadium. Just a very nice design. The sporting one, the Porto one, quite an unusual design because uh, the two sides behind the goals, they've got, you've got, it's kind of covered, but you've got a big space between the top of the stand and the top of the roof, which makes a, it's quite, a, you know, aesthetically speaking. It's quite an interesting design. Does it make and, it a bit, uh, bit breezy there? Yeah, well, actually, it's funny you it's funny you say that because one criticism of that, you know, lots of people say, look, this is an absolutely beautiful stadium, but some people say it's not actually too functional because most people, a lot of people outside Portugal don't realise, but Portuguese winters can actually be quite cold and uh, quite windy and rainy. That does make sometimes for quite uncomfortable viewing. But, you know, as these games will be in June, 
course, should be the opposite. It should just be a, a nice breeze coming through that stadium to what could possibly be a you know a very hot day. You know, it's only a short tournament. There's four matches in total. Being as it's not a World Cup year, it's not a European Championship year. You know, I think it will get quite a lot of focus after the, uh, I suppose, after the Champions League finishes. You know, and people will kind of turn their attention to it. And I think the the group phase of the you know of the Nations League. I don't know what the opinion was in England, but in Portugal, I think it was very positive. You know, most people seem to think it was a it was a good idea. The games were very exciting for the most part. Uh, the players took it seriously, much more interesting than friendlies, for example. And uh, of course, it would be there's quite a big prize at stake, isn't there, for being the, the first ever winners of this tournament? You know, this oh, yeah. tournament as a successful tournament, you probably expect it to to stay here, and you know, who knows, maybe it's around for you know, for decades or so. And so it'd be quite nice for whichever country wins it to say, you know, you were the first winners of the Nations League. So, you know, that's quite a big motivation, I think. Yeah, well, just to just to go back on that, um, yeah, I think from certainly from the perspective from England, that once the tournament or once the qualifying got up and running and people got their heads around it and realised this is a uh, this is a tournament worth winning, and obviously we we were successful in getting through to the finals, which obviously gets everyone's interest up. Um, so yeah, I think on on the whole, it's been a, a generally a very positive uh, reaction to it, and and long may it continue. We can't talk have a conversation about Portugal without without talking about Ronaldo, can we? He's obviously uh, been included in the squad. I was just having a quick look at his record. He's And you mentioned players that have played over 100 times. 156 times he's played with 85 yeah. goals. And this okay. after a, uh, a short break, didn't he, after the World oh, Cup? Oh, yeah. He's smashing. You know, he's going to smash all the records. There's no, there's no argument now in Portugal now. He is the greatest Portuguese player of all time. I think that's universal now, you know, for... Quite a few years, especially in, I'd say, his early years, maybe until, I don't know, quite late 20s, uh, when he really started turning it on for the national team. He, A lot of people said he, he didn't turn up, really, for the national team in terms of, you know, his club form. He was just breaking all those kinds of records for Real Madrid season after season, but he never really seemed to take the ball by the horns in the same way when he was in a Portugal shirt. That changed, I'd say, maybe about, last five or six years has just been absolutely outstanding for Portugal and is smashing all sorts of records and of course winning 2016 European Championship the first trophy Portugal picked up in their whole history that's made a huge difference and you know to his legacy and like you said just an incredible number of caps incredible number of goals and you know look at him now he's uh, maybe he hasn't had his best season but he's had a pretty decent season and I think his you know the way he looks after himself uh he'd be good for uh, another two or three years probably at the you know at the top or certainly you know near the top of the game and yeah he's back uh, he's back in the squad and of course uh, I'm not sure if you remember but it's quite interesting because in the qualification phase of the Nations League he he actually sat out which was quite unusual. It's, it's the first competitive games he hasn't played for Portugal since uh, he broke into the team, you know, in 2003 or 2004. How so, was that received? Well, it was, there was quite a lot of criticism. I think there was a, quite a lot of people who understood the reasons, because if you remember, although this wasn't said officially, it was the time of the, the scandal with the, the rape allegations kind of mm. came to the surface again just after the World Cup. 
And the feeling was, I think, that if Ronaldo had, you know, turned up for Portugal and if he had played, then the, the kind of the world's press would have descended on the Portugal training camp and just right. bombarded him and, and the technical staff and the coaching staff. And everyone had questions about Ronaldo, questions which would have been very difficult to answer. And so the, the official line was that he had just moved to a new club, of course, Juventus, he'd moved country. He thought it was, you know, he's got nothing to prove for Portugal, obviously. He thought it was better and him, uh, together with the coach, with the Portugal coach and the Juventus coach, came to the conclusion that it was better for him to, you know, to sit out these games to help him settle more quickly or more easily in Italy. But I think it was probably a combination of the two factors that's by the by, in a way, his back, his back for Portugal. And of course, he will be the main man. There's a lot of very exciting Portuguese attacking talent, as well as Ronaldo. But, uh, you know, there's only one Christian Ronaldo, and there's no doubt about it. He will be Portugal's most decisive attacking weapon at this tournament. Yeah. And, and I guess going just referring back to that European Championships win in 2016 he actually didn't finish the game did he i mean he went off from memory yeah. very early so he will be very yeah, yeah, keen yeah. to be part of a a game that or a final that finishes that he can be part of absolutely yeah absolutely i think there's a, some people when you mention that you know about ronaldo you know winning your own 2016 they say oh but he didn't even play the final you know because like i said he went off early i think after about 15 or 16 minutes that doesn't take away the fact that he played a huge part in that victory. Basically, without Ronaldo, Portugal wouldn't have even got to the final. So, so, you know, he still feels very much and people still feel very much that he was a huge cog in the, you know, in that machine. A, a huge reason why Portugal became champions of Europe. But yeah, you're right. You're right. That was a, you know, that's a huge blow for him to miss the final, you know, the most important game of the tournament. So, yeah, it'd be great for him. I'm sure, he'd be very keen to to get in the final and uh, hopefully, you know, play the whole final and uh, help Portugal be the winners, if possible. Just a couple, a few players to look out for, as well as Ronaldo, of course. Uh, I, I mentioned Bruno Fernandes earlier, the sporting captain, who's just had an absolutely incredible season. He's a midfielder and he's scored 32 goals. You know, that's, he's got the m- wow. most, most goals in a, as a midfielder in the top European leagues, if you include Portugal as I think it's ranked seventh now as one of the top European leagues at this century. You know, he broke Frank Lampard's record. So, and he's like a proper midfielder. It's not like just an attacking midfielder lurking behind the strikers. He's really all action. He does a lot of defensive work. He's, he's just a, an incredible player. So he's definitely, and you know, big rumours that he'll be going to England again, uh, like a lot of other Portuguese players. This, this summer, so he's definitely one to look out for. Another player who's making a lot of headlines here this season in Portugal is João Félix, who's a striker, Benfica striker, still a teenager, uh, 19 years old, but he's, he's a really exciting prospect and he's scored 20 goals this season. So, you know, it's not bad going for a 19-year-old. He was a really key part of Benfica's, you know, championship winning season. And really skillful player, uh, just uh, something which Portugal have always had trouble trying to produce, which is a you know a reliable goal, goal scorer, and he he looks to be that, and so he's definitely one to watch. And of course, Diogo Jota, a lot of people, a lot of English football fans will know about him from uh, his second half of his season, especially at Wolves. He really came into his own. A lot of people are excited that 
either Diogo Jota or Joao Felix can, uh, you know, probably or hopefully make a good combination with Ronaldo and that will really give Portugal quite a, a dangerous looking cutting edge, which is something which they've, uh, you know, they've obviously often missed. They've often been very reliant on Ronaldo for goals. But uh, this time round, you've got uh, Bruno Fernandes, you've got Joao Felix, possibly Diogo Jota. And of course, uh, another player who's had a brilliant season in England, Bernardo Silva. So a lot of attacking threat in that Portugal team. Sounds very exciting. Very much looking forward to it. And Tom, the website is portugal.net. That's all going swimmingly well, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, going quite well now. So anything, you know, any news on Portuguese, if you want to know about Portuguese football in the English language, that's where to head, portugal.net, P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L dot net. Or uh, you can also follow the associated Twitter account, which is Portugal1. So head there for all your Portuguese football needs. And you're, you said to me off air, you're, you're going to two of the games, are you? Yeah, I'll be going to the games in Porto. So that's the first semi-final between Portugal and Switzerland. And uh, the final, which, uh, you know, hopefully will be Portugal. I think whether it's Portugal, England or Portugal, Netherlands, you know, I think that that should be a fantastic event. Really looking forward to it. Well, you you have my number. Let's uh, let's share a a Superbock. Yep. Okay. good choice. Basically (laughs) two beers in Portugal, Superbock or Sagres, but uh, Superbock's your man. Will do. Looking forward to it. Tom, thank you very much as always. and, And perhaps we'll speak again in the future. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Russell. So we've been to Amsterdam, we've been to Lisbon, and now it's time to go to Glasgow uh, and speak with Switzerland football expert Craig King. Scotland. Tell me about that, Craig. Well, um, I was saying... 2011, I was watching Champions League and um, I was looking for a second team to support. And Basel were on TV, they were playing um, a Romanian team, I can't really remember the name, but I remember looking and thinking, quite right, I kept something stupid like that and um, decided I'm going to start trying to follow them. The next game I watched them was the game they drew 3 uh, each with Manchester United away from home. And from that moment, I decided to watch all the games. And then after that, I just I noticed that um, there was no no place on Twitter for Swiss football in English, and there's places for um, Italian football, Portuguese, all that stuff. So I decided then that I would create a Twitter account for Swiss football in English, and I have done. I've been doing that for about six years now. Well, it's a a pretty busy Twitter account. Just just let us know that Twitter account straight away. It's um, at football Swiss en. And it's uh, yeah, concentrating on not just the national team, but on the whole the Swiss Super League as well. And I see as well with the the promotion relegation issues from the from the lower leagues as well, isn't it? They just brought that back in this season. It's been away for a few years, but it was definitely the right decision to bring it back in as an extra. Ah, I see. into the end of the season. Well, let's talk Switzerland. Possibly the most surprising nation to make it to this tournament. They came through a group with Iceland and Belgium, who on the last day they beat five-two on the uh, the final day after being two down after seventeen minutes. Are they are they coming in quietly under no sort of pressure? I would say so. I think um, 
a lot of people will underestimate him. Maybe I'll look at the, the team and know some players, but overall, just not seeing him as a as much of a threat. But I think they, they were able to show in that group, especially in the last game against Belgium, that they can be they can beat anyone on the day. But I think overall they're not going to be favourites, but they they can definitely cause some problems for the other three teams. So that first game will be against Portugal in Porto. It's going to be a, a tough one straight away. You mentioned the uh, the squad there. I've taken a quick look through it. There's only four home-based players. I think they're from both the uh, Switzerland Super League title winners, Young Boys, and your team, Basel, as well, isn't it? But the rest are, are overseas players. Yeah, most of the team, yeah. Um, it tends to be that in Switzerland, the big players move on, usually to the Bundesliga and um, there's even more this season going over there um, you've got Kevin Babu who plays on the uh, right back he's moving at the end of the season um, and there's everybody else there is all made moves it seems to be the next step in their career is when they played in Switzerland they move over to Germany same language it's easier to adapt and then you move on from there but as you see there's only a couple of players there that still play in Switzerland is that good for the national team or good for the, or it can't be too good for the the, the Swiss league, can it? It's not too good for the league. It's, it's good for the national team in the sense that they're going to have a better league, better um, fixtures against a stronger opposition, chances to play in Europe, depending on the team you go to. So it probably improves their game overall. But for the league itself, obviously any time any player of the calibre, say a Shikiri or someone like that, moves on, it, Increases the quality in the league, but for the most part, for every Shakiri that's moved on, there's been other players that's come on that are maybe not as good, but they are a talented player that eventually attract the big teams. It's like a little procession belt of, of good Swiss players who ply their trade early and then move on, I guess. I mean, you mentioned Germany. I'm looking at the, the squad. They're five from uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. We'll recognise Shah from Newcastle, Shaka from Arsenal, Shakiri you've mentioned from Liverpool, you've mentioned Kevin and Babu. Who else do we need to look out for? Um, well, um, you may have heard Harris Severovich of Benfica, striker. He's not really been, I've not been his biggest fan for years now, but in the last year, maybe two years, he's came into form. He's had his best ever season this season with Benfica. He scored uh, nine goals between 2017 and 2019, and he'd only scored six goals previous to that in three years previous to that. So he was someone that I didn't really want in the team. I always criticised him, never a fan of him, but this season he's, his form's kind of baffled me, but it's, it's good because he's the striker that Switzerland's needed for a while now, if he can keep that form up. I mean, has the the Premiership influence, as we mentioned, Shah, Shaka and Shakiri, is, is that a good influence for, for the Swiss team? Yeah, I, I think so. I think especially uh, Fabian Shah, he's had, probably his best season in England. He was at um, Deportivo before that and they got relegated um, and then he's went to Newcastle and he's had a good season this season and um, he can only continue to improve. As for Shakiri and Jack here, they're great players as it is but I'm not sure. Shakiri doesn't seem to always get the game time which isn't great but he has his best games for the national team anyway. He can not be playing for his club team but come into the national team and change a game like at the World Cup he was uh, the best player in the game against Serbia and uh, he hadn't really been playing at club level so he's still able to come in and um, influence the game even though he's not playing as much 
And I know you're you're obviously in Scotland, but do you do you speak with anyone or do you get over to Switzerland? What's the sort of feeling in Switzerland about the Nations League? Uh, I've, all, I've only been to Switzerland one time. It was for the Cup Final in 2017. I've got a lot of people on Twitter that I speak to from uh, the country. I think um, that people are, I don't think people expect to win it. I think maybe get to the final if they can surprise Portugal is probably maximum. But when it's only four teams left in it, anything can happen. I think people are optimistic, but overall they don't see Switzerland winning it. I think there was a lot of confidence in the team, but they had a, a free straw with Denmark in March, and it, they threw away the free goal lead in the last 10 minutes or so. And For me anyway, that uh, took a lot of confidence away. I was, re- I was really confident about the team, and then that game sort of made me realise that maybe they can't win this game, win this uh, tournament. We've mentioned the the Twitter account there, Football Swiss EN. Any other projects that you're working on? Not at the moment, no. I'm maybe um, looking to start a podcast soon. Um, when that starts, it'll be on the Twitter account. Um, I write pieces here and there, but um, mainly just now it's just a Twitter account that I've got. Good stuff. Uh, at Football Swiss EN, we'll, we'll of course link to that from our own Three Lines podcast. Craig, I'd just like to say thank you very much to you for your time for, for joining us here. Thanks for your insight into the into the Swiss side and, and enjoy the Nations League. Thanks, Adam. You're welcome. There we go. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. That has been our Nations League preview. It's not long now until it all kicks off. Thank you very much to James Rowe, Tom Kundert and Craig King for their insights and their time. I'm excited to be going out there looking forward to experiencing the sun, the sea, the sand with a few good drinks thrown in for good measure. I plan to record an episode or two whilst out there. I must be a glutton for punishment, but I do hope you can join me for those. Also, before then, will be a Women's World Cup episode. So stand by your downloads for that. I hope you'll be interested in that one. If you are off to Portugal, stay safe, enjoy it, and let's keep the reputation we earn in Russia intact. And perhaps this time, we can bring a trophy home. One last thing, as always please do subscribe at your podcast provider. Leave a kind review and you can find us on Twitter at 3 Lions Podcast. We're also on Facebook. Just give it a search there and also www.3lionspodcast.com. Tell your mates. Until the next time, ciao.